in a series in the, going, walking through the book of James, and we've just titled this series Genuine Faith. And we wanted to kind of have a conversation as we walk through the book of James, and we're going to spend quite a few weeks kind of walking through the book of James, but we wanted to just kind of have a conversation about what does it feel like and look like when you encounter someone that has a genuine faith? I don't know if you've ever had this moment where you've been introduced to somebody or you have a meal with somebody or you hang out with somebody and at the end of that time, you just have this impression of, I like that person. That was a genuine person. Anybody have that kind of vibe? I think there's so much falsehood uh, and so many masks that we put on and so many ways that we present ourselves sometimes that it's rare for us to come across someone who is actually genuine, where it's kind of... Oh, they're authentic, they're real, they're actual, they're true, they're, 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 they're just authentic people. Uh, the, the opposite of that, sometimes it's helpful to understand what a word means by looking at the opposite of that. So the opposite of genuine would be uncertain or counterfeit or false or illegitimate or insecure, right? I, I think sometimes we encounter those kinds of people also. And you feel like, I don't know if you've ever known anybody, anybody been in this place where you've known somebody for a really long time, but you still feel like you don't know them? There's just something there where it feels like it's, there's something not genuine, you don't get the real thing. Well, James does a really amazing job as you walk through the book of James, talking about what it looks like, not just for us to have faith, but for us to have a genuine faith. Uh, James seems far more concerned with our motives and the how we do things than some of the other books of the Bible. And he really dives into this humility and this posture that we need to carry in order to have a genuine faith. And the question we're asking is, is how do we live a genuine faith? I, I want my faith to be genuine. I want when people come and, 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 and encounter me and come in contact with me and spend time with me to not think like, is this a fake thing? Is this an illegitimate thing? Is this some, I, I want them to have, experience a genuine faith. And so uh, the question we're asking is how do we move from this faith that's kind of floating back and forth and sometimes legitimate and sometimes you don't know and sometimes struggling and all these things to a place where our faith is genuine. And so last week, Douglas did an amazing job talking about how what, what we do when our faith is tested, that our faith is tested. And today we want to talk about the idea that genuine faith asks. Genuine faith is humble. Genuine faith goes to God and seeks God. And, and here's the good news. The, the passage that Douglas taught last week aligns perfectly with the passage that we're talking about this week. In fact, you could consider that part one and this part two because those two pieces fit together so beautifully and so perfectly. So last week, Douglas started with this, James chapter one, verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you meet trials of various kinds. How many of you find that a little challenging? <laughs> I was at a youth conference. I remember this. I was studying for ministry. I had just kind of named that I was going to be a pastor. Uh, and I had told my youth group, and this speaker came and spoke at this convention that we had with our youth group, and he met with a group of leaders, and he preached this passage. And at the end of it, he invited youth and children to come up, and he said, I'm going to pray for trials for you. Who wants to come up and pray for that? And there were some stupid kids that did. 
And, and I remember my youth pastor was like nudging me. I was like, uh-uh, I'm not, I don't, I'm not messing with that stuff. I, I've got plenty on my own without praying for more of them. But according to this passage, we should count it joy when we experience trials, when we experience struggles, when we experience difficulties, when we experience pain, when we experience woundedness, when we experience setbacks. All of those things are good in the kingdom because of this, because we know that in the testing of our faith, it produces steadfastness. Somebody once said to me, we we don't find out who you are on the mountaintop, you find out who you are in the valley. And it's in those valley moments, it's in the hard times that we're shaped, that we're forged, that we're refined, that we become the people that God desires for us to be. It happens in the difficult times oftentimes and not in the good times. And then it says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. So when we go through these tests and challenges, when we experience hard times and and difficulties and, and, and valley seasons in our life, the full effect of that is that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in what? Nothing, which matters as we're going to keep going. So we, we got a number of really thoughtful questions from folks last week, and I really appreciate it, church, when you ask thoughtful questions and not accusing questions. It was really good. Uh, so a number of you sent in some thoughtful things about last week, and so I want to talk about this idea of tests just a little bit because this is a really difficult passage. Are you with me? It's really challenging to figure this out. Um, and when we talk about tests, we're not talking about a pass-fail test. God is not a punitive God who is trying to pass or fail us. What he's trying to do is grow us in progress. It's a test that is a process. Uh, And and so uh, when we think about this, I think we can make two mistakes around the idea of test, when God tests us. The first is that we start to believe that God is this cruel, vindictive God who is looking to test us at all times for his own pleasure and for his own enjoyment. Uh, I don't think that's true. I don't believe that every trial you go through is a test from God. I think sometimes you just stub your toe. It's not heaven working against you, right? I think there are times when things happen because of sin. I think what God does in the midst of those things is he allows our circumstances to grow us. And so the, the big debate in here, which we won't understand until we get to heaven, and we won't clearly know how heaven works and how God works in all of these situations, but the real tricky part is, is did God allow that? Did God cause that? Did God do that? Did God? I don't know the answer to that in every circumstance, but I do know this. I am responsible for how I respond to my circumstances. I'm not responsible for my circumstances. Things are going to happen to us, good and bad mountaintops and valleys, and we're responsible to our responses to those moments. So we need to pay attention to our circumstances and pay attention to to how we walk in this. Scripture teaches us that, that God doesn't tempt us, that God's not walking around trying to trick us, that God's not walking around trying to manipulate us, that he's not giving us tests to try and fool us on things. God is a good God. He is our ever present help in times of temptation. He's the one we run to when we're tempted. He's not the one that causes those things. The second thing that we can do is not just make God a cruel, vindictive God, but the other side of this is that we don't take our obedience seriously because we don't believe our faith is ever tested. 
right? So, so we, we know that our, that our tests with God are not pass or fail. So ironically, what we do is we say, well, if it doesn't matter how I respond, then I can respond whatever way I want to. And it doesn't matter how I respond to this test or this trial or this moment. And so what we do is we bounce around and we know we'll mess up and that God will forgive us. So we're just fine with that. And so we don't take our obedience seriously, And our assurance of God's love and God's forgiveness in our life is certain. But that is the thing that should cause us to obey. The certainty of God's affection and love and generosity and kindness and presence in our life is the thing that causes us to obey. When my children were little, we taught them two real simple things about obedience. You obey because you love. That's what we taught them. And if you love mom and dad, you obey because you love us. The same posture is true with God. The second thing is you obey immediately. (laughs) You obey right away, right? These are the things that you teach children. Obedience is an act of love. I didn't want them to see mom and dad as these cruel, vindictive parents who were causing them to obey because we wanted some, had some crazy motive. When we asked them to obey, we were asking them because we didn't want them to get hurt, because we wanted to help them, because we didn't want them to grow up to be weirdos, right? Like all of those things were the things that we were trying to communicate with them. And, and, and so the same thing is true with God. The powerful motivations for our obedience needs to be love. We can definitively say this, though. I don't believe that God is jobing everyone. Are you with me? I don't think that every moment is Job. Job is one small portion. It's the only example in all of Scripture where God behaves that way. And I don't believe that's happening in every moment to all of us. I don't think that there is a Job moment for every one of us. I also don't think this is normal practice for God. I think it's a picture of what obedience looks like and what faithfulness looks like. And it's a good picture, and it matters, and we should pay attention to it. And God is sovereign, and we should trust him, and we should believe in him, even in our hard times. I just don't believe that that's happening all the time. And secondly, each of us are responsible not for what happens to us, but how we respond to those things. 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says this. It says, by this we know that we have come to know him. If we do what? If we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, this is not nice, is a what? Liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. When we don't obey What we're exhibiting is a faith that is not genuine. Are you with me? When we don't keep his commandments, what we are exhibiting is a faith that is not genuine. And that doesn't matter if we're on the mountaintop or if we're in the valley. In any of those circumstances, the calling on our life is to obey and to follow him. Eugene Peterson in the message said this, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure... Your faith life is forced into the open, and it shows its true colors. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Isn't that good? Isn't that what we do sometimes? When, the, when trials come, when tests come, when the valleys come, we try and get out. We try and run from it as fast as we possibly can. But it says, but let's, let it do its work in you so that you become mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way. This is the path. And so I want to move now into the second part of this passage. And the second part of this passage begins with this concept that genuine faith 
asks for God's wisdom. If we're going to have a genuine faith that whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're in the valley, we want God's wisdom for our life. We want God to speak into our circumstances. And when those moments of trial come and when our faith is tested, there is a good God that we can run to and ask for heaven's perspective on our circumstances. Verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, so remember, he's talking about trials and tests, and there are so many times when we're going through trials and tests, and we don't know what the right answer is. Have you ever been in that process or that moment with somebody where somebody's coming at you aggressively, and you want to respond with kindness and with generosity and grace, but you also want to set a boundary, and you're not quite sure where grace and truth land and what the balance is between those things? If any of you lacks wisdom... Then we go to God. Let him ask God who gives generously to all, generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. When those trials come, when those tests come, what genuine people do is they seek the Father. They seek the Father. They don't trust in their own wisdom. They don't trust in their own understanding. They don't trust in their own knowledge. They don't trust in them, and even in their own instincts. But they go to the Father and say, All right, Lord. What are you doing here? Help me to have a heavenly perspective in this moment. Help me to understand where you're at. And so this leads to two key questions for me as I look through this. And, and I just kind of want to narrate this through a little bit of challenges that I experience when I go through these things. The two questions that I ask is, do I, one is, do I long for godly wisdom? Like, do I really want God to speak into circumstances? Do I really want God to tell me what he's up to? Remember when you were a kid and you wouldn't go and ask your parents the question because you knew what the answer was going to be? Anybody remember that? How many of you have heard the phrase, sometimes it's better to ask forgiveness than to ask permission? I wonder how often we do this with God. Where we're going through something and it's difficult and it's challenging and it's hard and we know that we should be leaning on the Father's perspective, we know that we should be humble, we know that we should ask God for wisdom, we know that we should ask for a heavenly perspective in the midst of it, but because we know what he's going to tell us, we don't even long for the wisdom of God. Because what God asks us to do is difficult. Remember when Douglas preached a few weeks ago, not my will but your own? That's the hardest thing for us to do. It's to surrender what we want for what God wants. But the irony of it is that's our entire faith. Is when we come to faith, we give him our life. We give him our future. We give him our career. We give him our family. We give him our finances. We give him every single area of our life. And we say, Jesus, I want you to rule and reign in every area of my life. But then it's hard sometimes because we don't really want him to speak into every area. There's certain areas we want to hang on to ourselves. There's certain areas that we're kind of like, ah, yeah, you can have this area of my life, but this one, I don't really want a heavenly perspective. I'm going to ask forgiveness instead of permission. I'm going to go do my own thing rather than asking you. And genuine faith asks for, for God's wisdom. The second question is, do we really believe in the source of wisdom? Do we believe that God is the source of our wisdom? Do we believe that, that when moments come, I, I don't need to go to my friends and my parents and my mentors. I don't even need to go to the prayer team to get another word. The Father is ready to give me a word if I will listen. If I will humble myself and I will go to him, God will give us 
a word. He'll give us wisdom. I, I had a meeting this week. I, uh, my father had a double knee replacement this week. Uh, and had both of his knees replaced. He's limping around. He's doing well. He's a tough guy. Uh, He's way tougher than I am. But I was in Ohio, and I had somebody reach out to me from my past that I certainly had a valley experience with, and this person said they wanted to meet with me. And I don't know. You you may not experience this. This may be just a pastor thing, but typically when somebody says they want to meet with a pastor and they don't tell them why, it's bad. Uh, and so I had to meet with this person, and I didn't know what it was going to be, and I had already had some struggling moments with this person, and I was driving to the coffee shop that I was going to meet this person at, and I started feeling all of this anxiety and all of this stress. I felt my breath get short. It was almost like a little bit of trauma. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had somebody that you've had a bad experience with, and every time you think of them, your heart kind of tightens up a little bit. I was experiencing all of that, and I was like, this is not what the Father wants for me. I don't need to live in anxiety, and I don't need to live in pain. I don't need to live in depression, and I don't need to live in this space of anxiety. God is good, and he wants to be with me in this moment. And so I did what I often do when I go into those meetings. I out loud said, Jesus, I need wisdom. I don't know what to say. I don't know. And you know what's one of the most beautiful things that I get to experience as a pastor? Is there's so many times when I go into meetings and I don't know what to say and I don't know what the answer is and I ask God for wisdom and something starts coming out of me that is wise. And it's not because I'm smart. I'm not the brightest bulb in the whatever. Uh, it's, see, I can't even finish that statement. That's how, bright I, that's how bright I am, right? That's how bright I am. Sharpest knife in the drawer, brightest bulb. Is that even a phrase? Am I just making one up? I'm mixing metaphors, aren't I? The good thing is God does this. I, I was mentoring a, a youth pastor once. Uh, it was a great kid. I, I met him playing basketball. He had a tattoo with a Bible verse on his arm, and I started talking to him about his tattoo, and he was like, oh, yeah, I don't really believe any of that. I just have it on my arm. And I was like, well, you should believe it because it's true. And I started having breakfast with him. He came to know Jesus. I baptized him. He wanted to become a youth pastor. I started mentoring him, and he got invited to speak at a youth ministry event. I think the only reason he got invited was because he loved Jesus and he looked cool. Like, that that's, should not be your criteria for speakers if you're ever running a church. Uh, but I think that was why he got invited, and he even told me that. He was like, I think the only reason they invited me is because I've got tattoos, and I'm a college student, and they think I've got something to say. And so he came to me, and, he, and we, we kind of prepared something, and, and uh, I helped him prepare a message for this talk. And he it was like a 25-kid youth group, and he stood up in front of the youth group, and he taught, and he calls me. It's like a Saturday night. It's like 11 o'clock at night because student ministry things don't even start until 10. I'm usually in bed. That's why I can't speak at student ministry events anymore. I'm usually asleep by the time they start. Uh, but he, he calls me, and he says, Ben, you wouldn't believe it. I started teaching, and this is what he said, and I was wise. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, you were, because you asked God for wisdom, and he generously gives it. So if heaven was ready to download anything into your brain right now, what would you ask for? 
If God's wisdom was ready to be poured out on you right now about your business, about your career, about your relationships, about that new idea that you've been dreaming about, about that kingdom dream that you want to live into but you aren't quite sure how to make it happen, about anything. Do you actually trust that he is the source of wisdom? And what would you ask for? And then when heaven speaks, would you listen? James has an interesting perspective, not just on what we ask for and why we ask, but also how we ask. Have you ever had somebody ask you to do something and you just want to say no, not because of what they asked for, but because of how they asked? Ooh, that's a big one for me. Sometimes somebody asks for something and I'm like, eh, could you try asking again nicer? But you can't really say that to adults. You can say that to your children. You can't say that to adults, but sometimes I, I, I want to. Uh, James, when he's thinking about genuine faith, he, he gets to our motives. He gets to our heart. James later on in the book of James says, God opposes the proud. That, that, he wants, that, that God wants us to ask him. He wants us to seek wisdom, but he wants us to ask with a certain posture. He wants us to ask in a certain way that the next part of this passage simply says, genuine faith asks in faith. Verse six says, but let him ask in faith. That's how it starts. What does it mean for us to ask? But we're not just asking, we're asking in faith. We're asking, believing that he is the source of wisdom. He is good. He is generous. He wants to pour out heaven's perspective inside of us. And so we ask in faith. Faith is a settled trust and confidence in God based on his characters and the promises he's given us as revealed in Scripture. It's a settled trust. So we go to him with a settled trust. We go to him believing and having faith that there is a confidence that God is going to deliver something. There is a humility that comes with this. There is a, there's an obedient servant that comes to him. If you notice, pay attention to all the people that came and asked questions of Jesus. The ones who said, teacher, will you help me? He always helped. The ones who came and tried to catch him in a question or tried to argue with him or tried to fight with him or tried to manipulate and get something out of him always walked away empty. There is a way in which we approach God that matters. We approach God trusting that he gives good gifts, trusting that his opinion matters to us and we go to him as humble servants wanting his opinion. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James doesn't really hold back there, does he? He gets a little aggressive with some things. But, but here's the reality. Genuine faith obeys when God answers. If we want to have a genuine faith, it means our genuineness comes that when we ask, we really want his opinion. Does that make sense? 
We're not asking for the sake of circumstance. We're not asking for the sake of, sh- of showing off. We're not asking for the sake of doing anything other than I want to know my father's perspective because my life belongs to him and what he says matters. And when he speaks, I obey. And when he calls, I go. And when he invites, I accept the invitation. And so I come to him completely ready to, to step into the answer that he's given us. We go to the beach in Florida a couple times a year. It's, what, it's, it's my healing place. I, I always feel like at the ocean I can breathe. I don't know why. Uh, I, I love to just walk along the beach and walk along the ocean. And I don't know if you've ever been on the beach right before a storm when the waves kind of look like this and they're kind of going in and out. Typically the waves are kind of flowing just in and we just see the waves flowing in. But there are times when the waves are kind of going all kinds of different directions. Have you seen this? Where the waves are like flowing in, but then they're kind of flowing to the side in certain parts. And then it feels like they're like even floating back. Like there's this weird thing where the waves are just going everywhere. And typically at the beach we go to, there's these lifeguards that will hold up like a red flag in those moments. They're saying, hey, you got to be really careful about the riptide. You got to be really careful because if you're not careful, these waves are going to take you somewhere that you don't want to go. And sometimes what we do is we just jump into the waves and we get pulled in every direction imaginable and we jump from side to side, from experience to experience and we move forward sometimes and then we're moving backwards and then we're moving to the side and then we're moving in all of these places, in and out and side to side and James says, this is the way some of you act. On Sunday mornings, you are here and you are singing And you are moving in the right direction. And the waves are pulling you towards Jesus. And it's beautiful and it's good. And you open your Bibles and you raise your hands and you're singing. And then on Monday through Thursday, you're kind of changing your mind. You're kind of starting to live a different way. And then Friday night comes and Friday night's just pulling you completely in the opposite direction. It's not even pulling you towards, you're just going the opposite way of heaven. You're running in the opposite direction. Then Saturday comes and you're regretting it a little bit. And you're like, I got Sunday coming, and so I gotta go. And James says, you're, you're just like somebody who's caught in these waves. You're getting pulled in every direction. I need you to have a genuine faith that actually says, I'm gonna be single-minded, and I'm gonna go in one direction, and that direction is towards heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. Hear me. All of us make mistakes. All of us fall back. One of my mentors says, our goal is to take one step closer to the kingdom every single day. It's not that I run a hundred steps every single day. It's that every day in my life, I set my heart, I set my affection, I set my mind towards heaven. I, I, I seek first the kingdom of God. And when I do that, I set my course towards moving in his direction. And I don't have to get there. I don't have to figure out a billion things in one day. I just want to keep moving in the same direction. When we are tested, God cares about our direction most. He wants us to set our course and set our heart and set our minds towards him and head that way. Don't be double-minded. Jesus said it this way, don't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and the world. You can't serve both God and your sin. You can't serve both God and your appetites. You have to submit and surrender every area of your life to the rule and reign 
of Jesus. Now, remember the beginning where it said we received something. Can we put that verse back up that we just had up there? Here's what it says. What do you receive here if you actually are double-minded? What does the double-minded person receive? Nothing. They won't receive anything. Other versions say they will receive nothing. Anytime Scripture says this, I wish it was a little less dramatic. I wish it always would say, if you're double-minded, you will receive a little less than if you're single-minded, don't you? I wish it would say, the single-minded person will receive 100 and you'll receive 96. It doesn't say that. But when we're being bounced along the waves and we're trying to find an answer, and we're experiencing tests and trials, and we don't go to the Father with a humble heart and ask correctly, ready to obey, what will we receive? Nothing. So as a pastor, I have a lot of people that say, I've been praying, and God's not answering me. And sometimes, that's because God is patient, and he's waiting to give you the answer. But other times... It's because you're not approaching him correctly. Other times, it's because we've not come to him with a humble heart. And God knows that even if he gives you the answer, you're not going to obey anyway. So he just stays silent. And he wants you to seek him. Because he wants you to seek him with the right heart and the right affection and the right posture. And so this is the pattern of a healthy disciple of Jesus. It's real simple. Life happens to us. Are you right? Good things and bad things. They happen to us every day. Tomorrow, you guys are going to wake up in the morning and things are going to happen to you tomorrow during the day. Good things, bad things. Consequential things, inconsequential things. Big things, small things. Things are going to happen to all of us tomorrow. Are you with me, right? Something's going to happen tomorrow. The question is, will we seek God? So a person with a genuine faith seeks God in all things. We listen when God speaks. And we obey when he speaks. This is what a genuine faith looks like. Life happens to all of us. Good and bad, healthy and unhealthy, it just happens. You may be ready for the best week of your life in the next seven days. You may be ready to experience trials and troubles and really hard things. I don't know what's in front of you. But I know that our Father is good. And I know that when we go to him and we ask for wisdom, he gives it gladly. And we can experience breakthrough by obeying and walking in faith. The pattern that we should avoid is this pattern. Life happens to us. We do what we want. It doesn't work out very well. We go seek God. We don't do what he tells us to do. It doesn't work out for us. We go back to him again and say, why isn't this working out for me? And he tells us again. And we don't obey again. And we get caught in this cycle of being pulled back and forth from the winds and the waves. And we become a double-minded person who James says is what? Unstable. I do not like it when people call me unstable. Even if it's James. So here's what I want to ask as we wrap up. The the band's going to come back up. We're going to move into time of communion and and worship. But but I, I want you just to think about what is your pattern when you're thinking about asking for wisdom? 
Are, are there ways in which you go to the Father, which is not the correct, correct posture? Are, are there ways that when you are tested, you don't listen? Are there areas of your life that right now you're saying, I don't really want heaven to speak into this? I don't really want heaven's perspective on this area of my life right now. So I'm not asking and I'm not seeking the Lord in this area because I don't want an answer. Can I tell you my pattern? I was just praying through this and I'll just be authentic and I'll be genuine. I'm pretty good that when God speaks, I obey. And I don't always get it right. There's times when I'm slower than I'd like to be, but I'm getting older. I think I've figured out a little bit that when God definitively says to do something, I trust him. I think he's faithful. I try and do it even when it's hard. My problem is when he's not really clear. When there's these moments where it's like there's two choices and God's kind of quiet in those moments. And you know what I always do? I always run ahead of God. I don't have the personality to lag behind God. I'm always like, God, catch up with me. Come on, God. We're doing something. We're changing the world. We're doing something for the kingdom. Come on. I'm, and I'm running way out in front of him. And he's like, I didn't even ask you to do that. Why are you running all the way over here? I'm still back here inviting you to do this thing that I told you to do. And you're running way over here starting something new. I'm always running ahead of him. And when he isn't clear, when I seek wisdom and God is quiet or God is silent or God doesn't speak, I don't wait. I'm just not patient enough. And so I think in this season, I was really challenged as I was preparing this message that God is calling me to wait, that he's calling me to just sit and to stay. And I think sometimes we, we, we have this glorification of moving on to the thing that God's invited you to next, right? I'm obeying God, so I'm moving, or so I'm going, or so I'm running, or so I'm doing this new thing. And we're all like, oh, way to go. Thanks. Good job. Way to take a risk. Way to go. Way to do that thing. And, and many times it's really beautiful obedience, and it's great. You know what doesn't ever get rewarded? The person that just stays. The person that's just faithful when God says, it's not time yet. There's a time coming, and you can go chase those things and go pursue those things, but for now, I want you to stay. I want you to be faithful, and I want you to be here. And so what's that pattern for you? When you think about your obedience, when you think about seeking God and asking for wisdom, what are some of the ways in your life where you get it wrong? And what would it look like for you today to just repent? Repentance is not a bad thing. It's me believing in God. It's me trusting that his way is better than my way. It's me saying, I know this has been the pattern of my life and I know I've been running ahead of you, but I wanna stop and I wanna stay and I wanna wait and I wanna do the things that you've called me to do even when they're hard and even when they're difficult. So we're gonna go take communion. The communion stations are set up all around the room and every time we take communion, we're reminded of Christ's body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And we're reminded, scripture says, do this in remembrance of me. We do this to remember Christ who held nothing back from his obedience. That when Jesus said, I want you to go, he said, not my will, but yours. And he went and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so heavenly father, I pray that you would teach us to be like your son, that you would teach us to obey 
that you would teach us to walk in faith, that you would teach us to listen and to be humble and to wait on you. And so I pray, Father, that you would teach us in this series to grow in our genuineness, to grow in our authenticness, to grow in our ways of pursuing you. And I pray that you teach us not to just get the actions right, but to get the motives right. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to each of us right now. We invite you to to, to search our hearts and to know us and to declare and name areas of our life where you're wanting to rule and reign right now and we're resisting. I pray that you would teach us to be like your son Jesus who went to the cross and was obedient to death, even death on that cross. And I pray that our faith in this place would be genuine. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Take a minute. Ask Jesus what he's bringing to your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal something to you in this moment about the way that you ask or the way that you obey. Go ahead and take communion. You can do that with your family. You can do that on your own. And then we'll enter into a time of worship and we'll have a baptism here as we wrap up today.